0: Well, this morning we were talking about uh, control, specifically the uh, idea that we like having things under our thumb. I mean, we do. We like to manage well. Much of what makes us good at our jobs is because we manage well, and we like to control circumstances because that keeps bad consequences from occurring to us or our families or our companies. Yet I think a challenge comes that many of us are fear getting out of control, and that fear of being out of control begins to ironically control us. If you remember back in uh, 1993, the Oilers had this incredible run, a uh, winning streak that went on. But it was overshadowed by a guy who got out of control. It was uh, Buddy Ryan. He was the defense coordinator, if I remember correctly. But again, don't watch the NFL. If I get it wrong, always help me out. So there's a photograph you'll see behind me in just a second that Buddy gets mad and decides he's going to try and punch out the offensive coordinator. Because he didn't like a play that they ran. So they decide, and all of a sudden, the play win, they win this game. But the news for the next couple days, it's all about this fight, this coach that got out of control and tried to punch his colleague. And all of a sudden, there's just news organizations going on. Everybody's quoting what happened. And yet behind the scenes, as they interviewed the team, the team said, hey, um, we didn't talk about it. We didn't address it. We just pretended... It didn't happen. But many of us get out of control. We get out of control with our anger. We get out of control with our patience. We get out of control with our priorities. We might get out of control with a particular habit in our life that we feel like we need to rein back in. Hey, there it is. Uh, let me know when you get the PowerPoint up uh, behind me, please. And um, So as we're going through that process, I think many times the thing we don't think about when we think about being out of control is this. What does it mean to be out of control could you take that off the screen? Is that possible? <laughs> Sorry, we got all of our audio issues. In a second, all right. So it's one thing to be out of control, and again, as you watch this uh, journey from the Oilers, what captivated the uh, the news cycle was this idea of this Buddy Ryan being out of control, and Kevin uh, Gilbride, Gilbride, make sure I got you, yeah, Gilbride, uh, wasn't able to punch him back because one of his teammates sort of pushed him back and didn't allow him to do it. And this, again, became a major news cycle for for a while, and it caused friction, even to the point uh, Kevin a few years ago said he still wished he could finish that fight. But again, I think there's a big difference between being out of control, so those of us who are in control, we say, thank goodness I'm not like those people. Thank goodness I don't do that kind of thing. But I want to propose to you that the fear of being out of control is a sign that you're not in control. Now think about that. If you... Make your decisions with a constant fear that you 're going to be out of control you 're not in control because you 're being controlled by your fear of being out of control. The Bible says that you know sin, whatever sin means, we think of it as bad behavior. God wants us to avoid these behaviors the ones I like actually i can 't do those and 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 he wants me to do these things that well, I might choose to do but i 'm not real thrilled about but actually, the real issue the Bible describes is the problem of falling short of God's standard isn't as much about external behavior. It's about an internal philosophy. I refuse to submit to the one who made me. I refuse to acknowledge or respect his authority over my life. I I don't think his position, authority or expertise is something I have to listen to. It's a philosophy that says I should be in control of the universe because I know better. And I would run my life better. I would run the world better. And, And that's the behavioral philosophy that says it shows up in my actions but I actually think I know better than God I'm going to control everything and in my fear of being out of control I realize I'm not in control because I'm being controlled by that very fear in his book control freak it's an interesting quote by a uh, Les Parrott. he's a psychologist he talks about the different types of control freaks he says there's the tenacious control freak who sticks his opinion into your story, correcting it while you're talking. It was actually two days ago. Actually, there were three people there. But that's not exactly what happened. <laughs> Second control freak, the obnoxious coworker who points out everyone's foibles and gives unsolicited advice. It's the invasive mother-in-law who barges in or keeps inventory of her kids' lives, even when not asked. It's the controlling perfectionist who obsesses over the small picture, refusing to see the greater good. And get this, they berate themselves and others while trying to do better. Thinking better will bring freedom. They don't see that they're shackling themselves to the very thing that enslaves them. In other words, perfectionism is I can be perfect, but you can't be perfect. And in your desire to keep being perfect, you're going to drive yourself into the ground trying to attain something that's not attainable on earth. You're going to try and control the two things that can't be controlled, people and circumstances. And you're going to wonder why you get so frustrated when you can't ever quite control the two uncontrollable things like people and circumstances. You shackle yourself, he says to the very thing that's destroying you or enslaving you. And that fear of being out of control drives every decision that we make. So I want to talk about how we run a reverse as we look at the story of Gideon today. Three reversals God gives us, three reverses that we can run in God's playbook. Number one, we need to realize that there's no such thing as a free agent. There's this idea that I could be free... And I don't have to be controlled by anyone. I want to propose to you that everyone's controlled by something. Number two, you've got to have cuts. And number three, we find control when we realize who's in control, when we trust who's in control. Our first reverse is that there's no such thing as a free agent. You see, we're all controlled by someone or something's authority. Now, you can see that when you're young, right? Because you, you, you see it and then in your teenagers or your grandkids, here was the attitude. When I get out of this house, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm not going to be under your control or your rules anymore. And then you move into your first apartment and you got a landlord. <laughs> and you got a roommate. And you got a neighbor who complains about the noise you make or doesn't like the decisions you make or doesn't like your dog. And you're like, oh, well, when I get in my first house, oh, then I got a, 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 a homeowners association. Then I, oh my goodness, why can't I get free? And then you've got a, boss and then you've got stakeholders and then you've got clients then you've got customers you're saying i want to be a free agent but there's no such thing as a free agent everyone is under someone or something's authority so the question if you want to run a reverse you need to realize what whose authority could i put myself under because i'm going to be under someone's authority or something's authority that would make me freer that would not enslave me that's what i'm looking for now, Gideon's story, if you go back two weeks ago when uh, Drew spoke with us, we learned several things about this story. Number one, we learned you should never come to a Bengals uh, city and say, go build at the end of a service. That's one of the first things we learned. Uh, the second thing we learned is that a man named Gideon, before he led the people of Israel back to battle, he first had to go and deal with some lies in his own life, specifically his father's. His father had a statue to Baal. This fertility god that had you throw your children into the fire. And before he could move into public leadership, he had to deal with some private issues. He had to realize that he was being controlled by some generational patterns that trace back to his father. And after he does this, he sort of tears down this control tendency from his dad, this Baal statue from his dad. They give him a new name. His, he's got a nickname. It's no longer Gideon. It's Zerubbabel. One who fights with Baal. One who contends with Baal. One who went into his past, his generational patterns, and did the work of fighting against those patterns to be free. Before he could put himself under God's authority, he had to first contend with or fight with the thing that's been controlling him. Now he's about to lead the people in the battle. He's got 30,000 men, but he's going up against 300,000 men. A guy who struggles with control issues and he's only got 10% against an opposing army. He is freaking out. And wouldn't you imagine going into battle and you have 10% of your opposition? He says, I got a numbers problem. And God says, man, you do. You got a numbers problem. Well, I'm glad we agree. I need like I don't, 90% more people. Actually more than that, 90 fold more people. And God's like, no, 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 you got a numbers problem. you got too many people. God, let's do the math because I don't to have too many people. I got... No. God says, you got a numbers problem. Let me tell you why you have a numbers problem. You think you can control the situation. You think you can control the battle. You think that you're ultimately the one that's going to win this thing. I want to get you free from your fear of control. And you know how I'm going to do that? How? I'm going to get you more out of control. Oh, no. You've got a numbers problem. If you go to battle right now with your 30,000 against the 300,000, you're going to say, I did this. My own hand saved me. Am I the most brilliant commander and the most incredible judge? I was outgunned. I was outmanned. And I found a way through my own ingenuity to control the situation and win it. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to go on a teaching circuit. I'm going to be the go after guy. How do you take on incredible odds guy? God says, that's the problem. My own hand has saved me, lest you take glory for yourself against me. Your success in controlling things will drive you away from me. So I'm going to help you get out of the fear of control's clutches. I want you out of control so that you can get out of control's grip. We've got to have some cuts. I don't want you to be controlled by fear, by guilt, by shame. I don't want you to be controlled by perfectionism anymore. Or this idea of taking glory for yourself, self-justification. That's why the biggest competitor for the grace of God is good works. I want to justify myself. I want to save myself through my good actions, through my wonderful moral resume. The biggest challenge for folks to find the main message of the Bible is to stop self-justifying. And find out they need God to rescue them. You remember the cycle we've talked about? The cycle we've talked about in Israel is that it starts off, Israel has a winning season. And it's when they have a winning season, when they think they can save themselves, when they start to take glory over their own victories and their own plays and their credible ingenuity, how they control the outcomes. It's at that moment they take God's playbook and say, who needs God? Look how brilliant we are. And God says, all right, if you don't need me, I'll remove my, my blockers. You'll get Ransacked by another opposing nation, and then they're like, Oh my goodness, what happened here? God, we need a new quarterback. Could you help sorry about the playbook? Could you help us out here? God sends another judge, in this case it's Gideon, brings them back to another successful season. And again, when are they most in danger? When they're successful. When they're at the top of their game. Because at the top of their game, they take glory for themselves, and look at the next word, against me. I don't need you, God. I've got it all under control. I've got it all figured out. But even then, they're not a free agent. They're now being controlled by their desire to be in control. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, tells a story about a woman who is a piano player. And she was really suffering from deep depression She had a very non-religious atheistic psychologist who was advising her as well as he was as the pastor. As they were dialoguing together, the psychologist asked if she could have permission to talk to her pastor, and they got together. And Tim and the psychologist said, how can we help this this wonderful woman, this piano player? And the atheist psychologist said, well, here's what I have diagnosed as the problem. Her whole life, her parents said, you're going to be a world-class piano player. You're going to be a world class piano player. And she is a great piano player. She's a fantastic piano player, but she's not world class. And at this point in her career, honestly, she's not going to be. And here's what her atheist secular psychologist said She has made her parents' approval and playing her piano her salvation. And though she is good, she will never be world class. And she's suffering from depression because her piano cannot save her. Her parents' approval cannot save her. See, we're all controlled by something. She's controlled by her parents' approval. She's driven by her desire to have this particular position. And the fear of being out of control, not being that world class person, is what's spiraled her into depression there's a humorist uh, writes in new york this is an article from 1990 that talked about what about fame see what happens is something controls you even the fear of being out of control it drives you to become a person you don't want to become instead of being filled with joy and peace and patience and self-control which happens when you're god's authority you put yourself under fame's authority and you become a very angry disillusioned person Again, it's a very sarcastic writer. Um, funny little bit, though. She says, I pity celebrities. Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis, Barbara Streisand. They were once perfectly pleasant human beings. What happened? They wanted fame. They worked. They pushed. And the morning after each one of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing they were striving for, that same thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness, had happened. And they were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish, And giggles merrily when you realize you want to kill yourself. (laughs) You see what she's saying? We're all under control of something. It's your parents' approval. It's your reputation. It's the goal to be famous. But none of those things will make you free. And none of those things will satisfy. And for those of us who haven't achieved whatever that is yet, you can delude yourself and saying, I'll make it work. (laughs) Nobody else can make it work. I'm going to make success work. But when you get it, Because this did not ultimately satisfy. And the same thing is true with being in control. Being in control. One, you'll never have complete control. Because it involves people and circumstances. And two, even if you had it, it will not bring you satisfaction and contentment the way you think. And God will even give you fame and give you control to let you see it does not fully and completely satisfy. Which is why, point two, you've got to have cuts. you got too many people. Your fear of being out of control is driving you, so I've got to have some cuts. I've got to get you more out of control till you finally realize you can't control the circumstance. But I want to control the circumstance, but you can't. But I want to, but you can't. What if I try harder? No, we're going to have some cuts. We're going to get to the point there's no possible way you could trust that you're in control. I don't want that. We're going to do it anyway. God says, here's what you do. Turn to everyone and say, all right, gather around 30,000 people. If you're scared, and I'm scared as your leader, to go up against 300,000, if you're at all scared, go home. Please don't home. Please don't home. 20,000 people went home that day. For a guy who's scared of being out of control, things have not gotten good. This is not a great plan. This is not a thank you, God, for answering my prayer. This is not thank you, God, for your wonderful decision-making and your wonderful strategic strategy. It says in the verse that you're going to see in just a second, 20,000 people went home. 20,000. And as they went home, those 20,000, here's what it says. Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. 22,000 of the people returned... And only 10,000 remained. God, I got a numbers problem. You sure do. Now I've only got 10,000 against the 300,000. I got a numbers problem. I'm glad we agree. You still have too many. No. 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 The, God, I don't know if you need some instructions on math. Maybe we could go back. Um, but we got. We, Lucy, you've got some explaining it to do because I do not have a numbers problem. i got a serious numbers problem. God said, no, no, here's the problem. You've still got enough that you could still tell the story as how sharp and how smart and how you did this. You're not out of control enough. Because until I get you out of control in your circumstances, it's then you'll finally be out of control's grip. The fear that's been leading you and driving you your entire life. You need to get to the place you realize you've never been in control. See, one thing that's happened to me over the last couple of years, having a son with autism, a variety of health issues and circumstances that have gone on in our family, I'm more and more convinced how little I'm in control. Which drives me crazy as a long-term planner, as a person who likes to initiate, as a person who likes to get stuff done. I hate the truth that I might not be in control. But I have an ever-increasing list of things I can't control. And God is saying, the real lie, Chad, is that you thought you were ever in control to begin with. There's nothing wrong with managing. There's nothing wrong with contributing. There's nothing wrong with being responsible and making good decisions. But when you think you ultimately control things, you put control in the place of God. And you put your ingenuity in the place of God. And yet, how much of our health How much of our kids' behavior, how much of circumstances are really, honestly, far, far beyond our control? Don't make control your replacement God. David Foster Wallace is a postmodern writer. And uh, the thing about his writings is it's postmodern. So part of the postmodernness is that... uh, you're not supposed to really understand it. You sort of get together and go, what do you think it meant? Well, here's what it meant to me. Well, here's what it meant to me. Sort of, that, that sort of had the postmodern thing. But he gave a delivery at a, a commencement about three or four months before his suicide that was incredibly clear, unlike his typical writing style. And here's what he said. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Every Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. There's no free agents, he's saying. And the compelling reason that maybe you should choose some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship, because be it Jesus Christ or Allah or the Wicca Mother Goddess, it's pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure. You will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. If you worship power, you'll end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need more and more power over others to numb you to your own fear. If you worship intellect or being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid and a fraud and fear for being found out. The insidious thing about these forms of worship is they are unconscious. They are default settings. And yet, we're not a free agent. We're all under something's authority. And whether you call yourself a Christian or not, or not a Christian, I know Christians who are under control's authority. I know people who are unconvinced, who aren't sure what their authority is. In fact, your desire to be independent might be the thing that controls you. I've got to be independent. And it keeps you from having kind of relationships where you can share openly because you want to be independent. You don't need anybody. Somebody told you and that's what drives you. And God says, I want to help you. You have put something in your life that's eating you alive and I got to cut that out. Forgetting it was the need to be in control. So he says, we got a numbers problem. We got to cut it down again. I want you to bring the 10,000 that are left down to the, to the river and I want them to drink. And as they drink, I want you to look for those who drink out of their hands. And those who just lap it, out of the water. And the ones that lap, I want you to keep. And Gideon's like, please lap, please lap, please lap, please lap. He's now down to only 300 lappers. God, I got a numbers problem. I feel so out of control. There is no way that 300 people can take on 300,000. Now keep in mind, this is not military strategy. The Bible's not describing, although the strategy is amazing when you see what happens. This is how God works with us to make cuts into our life, to get at the root of the problem and to get getting to the place that he no longer is controlled by his need to be in control. Because at this point, there is no way he can control the circumstances. And God says, perfect, 300 men, that's going to be great. By the 300 men who lapped, I, not you, I will save you. I will rescue you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. We're in a great place now. I don't feel like I'm in a very good place. This is perfect. It doesn't feel very good. I know, but now you finally are in touch with reality. You're not in control. This feels great. I'm growing. This is great. It's wonderful to be growing. And that's why I said... The real problem, God says, in the human heart is not bad behavior. That's a symptom of a philosophy that says, I refuse to submit to God. I refuse to obey him. I refuse to acknowledge his position. In a football metaphor, it would be the, imagine a wide receiver says, I don't respect the authority of the quarterback. Sure, you want to call this play? I know better than you. I'm going to run my own play. It's a better play. And it might be a better play, but it doesn't work. He's not respecting the authority of the one who's in position over him. You see, that's a problem. The behavior was a symptom of the philosophy problem. It's the owner who gets hired, the owner of a, of a football team who hires a coach and says, we've developed a really great culture here in the last couple of years. We've asked you to come in and continue to grow that culture, fan that flame into that culture, and to really harness it. And the coach comes in and says, I don't care what the owner says, I want to develop my own culture. I don't like your culture. I'll take the job, but I'm going to work in opposition to it. The behaviors are a symptom of a deeper issue, which is their desire to control and not submit and not surrender to the authority over them. It's the quarterback who... The coach turns and says, now this next play, I specifically want you to run this play for this reason. We've got a bigger picture. We see some things. Don't call any audibles. And he decides to call an audible. Just like Harbaugh did. If you remember that game... In the 90s, I think it was 91, when Mike Ditka is screaming, yelling, throwing stuff on the sideline. I can't believe you called the audible. He ended up fumbling it, or I think, through an interception. And, and the interview afterwards, Ditka says, if he does this again, we will make changes and they will be permanent. Camera on Harbaugh, 12 mics in his face. What do you think? And he says, uh, boy, that didn't work. I called an audible, really screwed up. He said, but ultimately it's his team. He can make the decisions that he needs to make. And as you watch that, you go, yeah, that's right. You should respect the authorities of those who are over you. And yet we know that to be true, and yet we don't act that way. And with God, we say, sure, you made the universe. Sure, maybe you made the world or my DNA, but you can't handle my circumstances. Do you see how hubris that is? Do you see how ego, what ego maniacal that is to think that we can control the universe that he made and worshiping that will eat you alive and that's why god's got to go through all these cuts to help him in this process because here's the final point we find control we find freedom we find the kind of lack of anxiety when we begin to realize who's really in control and god says all right now you got 300 men let me tell you what i've been doing behind the scenes why did not you tell me this before I didn't want you to know it before. I want you to go down to the Midianites. They're camped down there, all 300,000 of them. I want you to sneak down to their tent, and I want you to hear some things that are going on. Now notice, he says, here, you shall hear what they say. Don't look around. Looking around will not be good. Hear what I'm doing. Hear how I'm working behind the scenes. Hear how I'm in control. So Gideon's like, all right. So he takes a couple of men, they sneak down to the Midianites. To the tent where the generals are all gathered and before he hears he looks oh my goodness their soldiers are as numerous as locusts their camels are without number it's like the sand of the seashore it's just locusts and swords and lions and tigers and bears oh my we're gonna die here don't look listen so gideon comes up next to the tent and he listens and in the tent is sitting one of the generals of the midianites he was explaining a dream he had. All the generals, all the commanders gathered around him. Men, I had a dream. As we know, dreams are omens of the gods. What was the dream? Will we have victory over the Israelites? We don't know much about them. The dream I had last night was of a, a barley loaf. A barley loaf. Out from the mountains, a giant barley loaf came and it toppled us. And down, 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 it toppled you and it toppled you. It crushed us all, this giant barley loaf. And we were all killed. Oh my goodness, does this mean we're going to lose in battle? Is this an omen of the gods that we're going to lose? And now the Midianites are scared to death because they don't feel like they're in control. And God used one of their superstitions, a belief that dreams were always omens of the gods, to fill them with the fear, ironically, of being out of control. And Gideon is listening into this and like, You gotta be kidding. They're scared of being out of control. I got 300 men. But he realized that God was working behind the scenes in ways he never would imagine. And God gave him just a little glimpse of the way he was controlling circumstances, working through the situation. He's like, Now, Gideon, here's what I want you to do. Here's the strategy. They're down in that plateau. I want you to station your 300 men around the outskirts of the the mountainside surrounding their gigantic camp. And I want you to take a torch and a sword and give each person a sword and a torch and a piece of pottery, a vase. And I want you to light that torch and put it under the piece of pottery so it can burn but they can't see it. And I want you to surround the Midianites. And sometime in the middle of the night, I want you to smash the pot, fire will appear, all around their camp and they'll think they're surrounded and they're so scared of being out of control that when they wake up and see this and you blow the ram's horn, watch what I do. Okay. Sounds like you're in control. So sure enough, they take their swords, they take their pottery, they surround the Midianite camp and as they do, Gideon blows his horn and everybody at once, kaboom! And fire is going all around the Midian camp. And they wake up in the middle of the night in that sort of stupor in the middle of the night. When you wake up, you're not sure exactly what's going on. (sighs) And they hear a sound of a trumpet. They look up, they see the fire, and they hear 300 men yell out in unison, A sword for the Lord and Gideon! But they're just standing there. But for those waking up, they're so scared of being out of control, they wake up like, Oh my goodness, that guy's got a sword! And they're stabbing each other! Somebody else comes in the door. They don't know who's who. It's dark. They just assume that it's the barley bread is here. The barley bread has come upon us. And they end up killing each other off, thinking they're the opposing army. And what little is left goes scurrying off into the wilderness. Oh my goodness, we got attacked by the Israelites. Meanwhile, Gideon, here's his job. A sword for the Lord and Gideon. Wow, it's working. I was never in control. I had to do something. I had to grab a torch, and I had to... But I am not really as in control of my circumstances as I thought. And he found peace. He found a lack of anxiety. He found freedom by putting himself under God's authority, allowing God to make some cuts in his life, and to realize he was not really in control to begin with. See, the fear of being out of control... is a great sign that you're not in control. So I like you to think about these three statements. Which one might be the one that you need to wrestle with? I was working through this last night. I'm like, oh my goodness, I think it's all of them. Which of those three? There's no such thing as a free agent. We need more cuts. Or do you need to find control or freedom when you realize who's really in control in your life? Here's a way to test. Trace your nightmares. What is the thing that you fear the most? If this happened, I could not live. If my career went down the toilet, if I lost control of this habit, if my spouse said this to me, if my kids kept behaving this way, if my health doesn't improve, your nightmares always point back to where you find your real identity. The nightmares of the Midianites pointed for their need to be in control. Gideon's nightmare was that he would not be in control. Well, here's another test. What's that thing you take too seriously? As I mentioned last week, you talk to gas pumps because of your desire to be efficient. It's often those things you just take too seriously. I mean, it's important, but you just really get hyped up about it. Because it's just not a thing. It's your identity. It's not just your looks. It's your identity. It's not just the behavior. It's your identity. It's not just control. It's your identity. So you get really mad when things aren't clean. You get really mad when things don't go the way it was planned. You just take it so seriously. And maybe God's saying to you, you are being controlled by fear. And I want to help you. And so I'm going to let your life go more out of control. Don't do that. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make some cuts. I'm going to let you get out of control so you can get out of control's grip. Tim Tim Keller tells another story in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He went and visited with a a woman in 2008 who was a New York hedge manager. And it happened to be the week of the collapse, but he didn't know it. He just was doing a pastoral visit. As he came in, he says, how are things going? I, I barely got any time for you. It's going horrible. How bad is it? The worst I've ever seen. She said, you know, I've been a big financial contributor to the church over the years. And honestly, I don't think I'm going to have a job by the end of the week. I don't think my sector will ever recover from this. He's sort of getting into counseling mode, ready to sort of help her through the grieving process. And he was shocked to hear her say, but you know, I'm really, this is devastating to me. It's devastating to the company, but I'm actually really excited about what God has for me next. But I realize I'm probably going to need to be retrained because I've done most of my connection with the ministry through giving financially. And I'm not going to be able to give it away I have before. So I'm going to have a lot more time on my hands. And I'm actually excited about how God might use that for my next career move in order to invest in other people. And Tim was struck by this as a pastor in New York City. He said, how could you lose your job, your money? It's never going to be the same. And yet you're not devastated. You're disappointed, but not devastated. Because her final identity was not in her job or career. It was in something bigger. And all these other things, though important, subordinated themselves to her greater identity found in God, His grace, that even though my job seems out of control, I know the one who is in control. And that brings me peace. This next song speaks to the kind of peace that can be found as we trust in God to be in control of the things we can't control. Let's listen together. I love that last line. I think if many of us could wrestle with not being so controlled by fear or worry or control, it would be a blessing to our family tree. (laughs) Because honestly, if our dad had figured it out or our mom had figured it out or our grandma had figured it out, we'd be a lot freer. But you get to be the one that passes that on. And the irony is not lost on me that a day when we're talking about control, our whole tech booth went out of control. Right, right before I came up to speak, they said we had three videos planned. You got to do this talk without the three videos. And so that doesn't mean that as a team, they have been working furiously to try and figure out the issue It doesn't mean after service. We're not going to try and figure it out. But our identity is not in a perfect service running. Do we want to run? Well, yeah. Do we work hard to make sure that there's no distractions? Yeah. But our identity isn't in it. So no the heads aren't going to roll after the service. We're going to sit down and go, what happened? And that's the kind of freedom that happens when you can say, I want things to run well, but it doesn't define me. And your family tree needs some of that because your family's not going to run well. There's times your career's not going to run well. And there's a peace that can exist in the midst of it. And if you want that kind of peace, if you want to return to that kind of peace, let me lead you into prayer. Maybe the prayer is this Father, forgive me for not respecting your authority in my life. God, I am so anxious from trying to do your job. I am so anxious from trying to control things that are just outside of my control. God, make some cuts in my life. Be gentle if you would. But I want freedom. I want to be in control because I know that you're in control and you're taking care of me. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for being here today. I hope you enjoyed your extra hour of sleep. I know I did. If you came prepared to give, uh, third door on your left, uh, there's a hearth room. We'd love to greet you. And there's some boxes to give out in the foyer. Thanks again. We'll see you next week as we continue our series.